when the world's greatest Hungarian sculptor comes to town, Blanche is elated to have him at her museum. She's even more delighted when he requests she pose for him as inspiration for his newest work. As judgmental as Rose was towards Blanche's nude modeling, she doesn't hesitate to join in when her presence is requested by the artist. But that's not the end of the upsetting news for Blanche. How can she land the artist if even Dorothy is his muse? So who will Laszlo choose for his sculpture? And will Sophia be able to prank her nemesis at the center, or will she blow all of her jokes on Dorothy? Find out now in The Artist. Thank you for the friendship We've come so far and traveled wide You're my best friends I could never lie I love when we party, dance and sing And laugh just doing our thing No matter the misters that come It's a mellow day in the neighborhood as Dorothy, in white pants and a bright yellow blouse, is making her way around the forbidden back area of the living room to water their many plants. In the foreground, a statue of a horse that only reminds me of Ryder on the show and of the Brady Bunch movies, Stan Zimmerman. Mister, you've deceived my family, stolen our horse, and kidnapped my wife. But when you use language like that in front of my kids, you've crossed the line. Entering the house with exhausted energy is Sophia in a gray tweed coat. Looking defeated, Dorothy asks her how her bingo game went. That's when Sophia shows her how it went by opening her coat to reveal her nude body. Not what every daughter wants to see of their mother, but c'est la vie. Explaining her lack of clothing, Sophia tells of Maury, the prankster of the senior center. Apparently, his jokes aren't that great, though, as Sophia complains that Howie Mandel, as we discussed a few weeks ago, was funnier than this guy. For example, today's debacle involved a fake carnation boutonniere that, when Sophia went in closer to smell, squirted her with prune juice. A beverage compliments of the center, unlike the expensive padded toilet seats they nightmarishly rent out. I wonder, does Stan get a cut of those profits? I'm guessing his flower held a lot of juice because Sophia would rather leave all of her clothing, including underwear, with Maury so he could take them to be cleaned instead of just wearing them home and washing them and sending him the bill and saving her belly button from catching all of that tweed on the walk home. All of this has Sophia humiliated. Dorothy assures her she shouldn't be. But with the decision-making skills she's displaying, it is concerning to imagine where and in front of whom she got undressed. But the whole prune juice thing isn't what has her really bummed. It's that during her walk of shame back home, her jacket accidentally opened up, exposing her naked body to a construction crew. And no, flashing them wasn't what was upsetting either. It was that the group of guys, usually stereotyped as the cat-calling, sexually predatory type, not only didn't give her flash a hoot nor a holler, but it actually sickened two of them. Just missing the story is Rose, who has come in, greeting the girls on the couch, wearing fake denim jeans and a white floral sweater. She then makes the fateful mistake of asking Sophia why she would be in the house yet still wearing her coat. 
Silently, Sophia rises and flashes her as well, accompanied by a, you tell me. Rose isn't shocked so much as confused. Was that a flash or is Sophia wearing a very wrinkled dress? With Sophia out of the room, Rose's question leaves her and Dorothy in a blank stare-off. Luckily, it's broken by the arrival of Blanche in a seafoam green pant and flowy hangy blouse combo, and she's with a mystery man. Coco described her outfit perfectly by saying she looked like a juicy little slice of watermelon. Well, the man isn't a mystery for long, as Blanche introduces the Hungarian sculptor Laszlo. The tall and handsome man doesn't need an introduction to the ladies, as his recent lecture on modern sculpture was so riveting, even Rose paid attention. While Rose was focused on the art, Dorothy had been focused on the artist, candidly telling Rose that she would buff his marble or sculpt his clay anytime he wanted. You know, a little stroking of the brush, a hammering of the chisel, a shaping of the bust. A job that must be done by hand. Oh. Laughing off the reveal of her secret fantasy, Dorothy grabs Rose's hand, falsely enjoying the joke she's making. Using her favorite tool in the get someone to shut up box, she then squeezes Rose's hand until she goes cross-eyed and falls to her knees. As Rose recovers, Laszlo ignores the whole ordeal before taking a seat in a chair. The three ladies crowd on the couch as Blanche brags about how hot he is and how horny everyone at the office is for him. Scoffing, Laszlo, perhaps given that name because his parents thought he was destined to be a famous ruler, and the possible namesake for the equally sexually powerful Matt Berry character on another favorite show, What We Do in the Shadows, finds it hard to understand why women would equate the patience, talent, skill, and delicate nature of being an artist as translating into him being an incredible and giving lover. Oh, Laszlo, I feel wild. I want to do something stupid and crazy. All right. What say we retire to our bedchamber and slip into some informal evening wear? <laughs> and by that, I mean the new. <laughs> oh, Laszlo! Laszlo's maniacal laugh, accompanied by details of how he uses his hands with clay to turn women into puddles of pleasure, has backfired a bit, only turning the girls on, imagining what he could do to them. With her baggy blouse nearly falling off her shoulder, a cotton-mouthed Blanche offers to get everyone a drink. But before she can, Laszlo must be going. Happy to have helped Blanche by giving her a ride home, Laszlo says his goodbyes, kissing each woman on the hand kissing Blanche's twice as she ran to the back of the line for a second helping. With plans of getting together tomorrow, Blanche sees him off with a wink. Given her chipper and horny behavior, Dorothy and Rose can only assume Blanche is having relations with the artist. That's not true, though. Not yet, at least. But what they do have between them is a shared love for Blanche's body. Excitedly, Blanche shares the news that Laszlo has asked her to be a model for him as he works on his upcoming sculpture. Holding a key to his Stu studio, Blanche is attempting, but not doing a great job at, restraining her glee. There is an upcoming museum show, and that is where Laszlo will be presenting his newest piece, inspired by a mature woman. Starting tomorrow, Blanche will be going to his studio to pose nude as he sketches her, the first step in his sculpting process. Blanche is rightfully ecstatic. She's worked at a museum for years. Laszlo is a big artist, and she'll get to live on forever as the piece of art she knows she is. Rose, on the other hand, is shocked, even a bit judgy. 
As usual, Blanche doesn't care, and she sees herself to her bedroom. For Dorothy, it's a case of deja vu. That whole spiel about becoming a work of art, that was the same speech she gave back when she went out with a shoe salesman who talked her into doing a Polaroid photo shoot in the back of his Volari. There is a new kind of American small car, Volari. Beautiful and so comfortable. Volare has a special suspension that gives you a smooth, comfortable ride, like a big car. You'll love it. Volare. Meaning to fly in Italian, the Plymouth Volare was named 1976's Car of the Year. From makesthatdidn'tmakeit.com, the corners that were cut to save money during the car's production soon showed up in recalls, including, but not limited to, the fuel system, seatbelt issues, the steering column, brake lines, muffler heat shields, the frame separating from the control arms, and the biggest issue, the front fender had to be replaced because they hadn't been lined or galvanized on every single car. The car was only made until 1980 when it almost bankrupted Plymouth, but its legend lives on. If you've seen the red Surrey-inspired, I suppose you can call it a vehicle, on Fantasy Island, that's a Volari. Do you watch the cartoon Bob's Burgers, their little red family car? Volare. Before Blanche starts posing for this artist, let's get to know more about him. In British actor Tony Jay's 40-year career, he amassed almost 200 credits. He was a well-known screen actor for shows like Beauty and the Beast, Mr. Belvedere, Newhart, and Twin Peaks, but his voice had much more fame and work than his face. His voice was heard on Hey Arnold, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Rugrats, where he played Dr. Lipschitz, child psychologist. You see how easy this is, Hilary? Only by confronting your claustrophobia will you be able to overcome it. Now say your mantra. Additionally, he performed on Darkwing Duck, Cool World, Tom and Jerry, The Little Mermaid, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Tick. The next morning, Sophia, in pink and white polka-dotted pajamas, is at the kitchen table when Dorothy, in a cream drop-necked blouse, comes in. Having just poured a glass of orange juice, Sophia offers it to her pussycat. With gratitude, Pussycat takes it and has a swig. That proceeds to go down the glass and onto the floor. Sophia was pranking her with a dribble glass. I'm impressed that Dorothy's flowing shirt didn't get any juice on it, making me wonder if they practiced it a few times in case of retakes or just had multiple shirts on hand in case they needed a change. Sophia doesn't care that her daughter is pissed. She's happy to see her prank worked. Although it would have worked even better if she had chosen pulp-free OJ as to not plug up the hole at the top of the glass. Furious, Dorothy asks Sophia why she did that to her. Uh, duh, she's practicing for her revenge prank on Maury at the center. As usual, Dorothy really appreciates her mother's kindness when, after asking if she looks like she's Maury, she's told that there is a resemblance in the eyebrows. That doesn't matter anyway. For Sophia, this isn't about mixing up Dorothy and Maury. This is about practice. Feeling bad after upsetting her pussycat, Sophia offers a handshake and apology. When grabbed by Dorothy, she's given a slight zap by a hand buzzer. Also known as a joy buzzer. No, not that kind, Blanche. The hand buzzer has been around since 1928. 
And no, they don't actually emit an electric shock. Rather, there is a coil tightly wound inside the device that when the button is pushed, it releases it rapidly, imitating the vibrations of a shock. The creator, Samuel Adams, owner of the SS Adams Company, must have been to Stanley as Bill Gates is to computer nerds. By either creating it himself or buying patents and making improvements, SS Adams was responsible for the joy buzzer, sneezing powder, the dribble glass, and snakes in a jar. Coming into the kitchen greeting the girls with a good morning is Blanche in tan pants and a periwinkle purple blouse, and she is horrified to see what a mess Dorothy is. Explaining her discombobulation, she points out that she just accidentally covered herself in orange juice, not even throwing her mother under the bus. What a good daughter. Blanche doesn't care about any of that, nor did she even notice. It was just that Dorothy had a generalized look of garbage. After a comment like that, Dorothy's wanting Blanche to be dealt the same hand she was, so she requests that Sophia pour Blanche a glass of juice. That's a great idea, as the vitamin C might help Blanche fight off the cold she feels that she's coming down with. Her being sick comes as no surprise to Dorothy. Why wouldn't you be getting sick? You've spent a week in Laszlo's apparently dilapidated studio in the nude. Dorothy, we've talked about this before. You can only get a cold by being exposed to the cold virus, not by standing in the freezing air of Miami. On top of that, there's nothing cold about Blanche's time with Laszlo. He's sure to keep her warm, tingly, and hot. Mmm, sounds like a nice back pain relief patch. Focused only on revenge, Dorothy offers Blanche the juice again. Sitting only inches from her face, Dorothy watches on, waiting for the dribble. That will never come, because Blanche can't shut up about how gentlemanly Laszlo is and how glorious her naked body is. She doesn't know where he finds the strength to not just throw her down for a throwdown. Sophia appreciates that he hasn't, as does, according to her, the downstairs neighbors, who would surely be bothered by a naked woman crashing through their ceiling. Good burn, Sophia, but still, kind of rude. Just as the juice gets to Blanche's lips, the doorbell rings and she jumps up. She's been expecting Laszlo as they're carpooling to the museum. But before she goes, she finally gets to that juice. And without a single drop falling from the dribble hole, she gulps and goes. Left in confused silence, Dorothy then tries another sip, only to once again be attacked by the dribble. Also hearing the doorbell was Rose, in her teal and white dress that resembles the glistening waters of the Caribbean. Somehow, she knows it's Laszlo, and she can't wait to see him. Even though Rose took issue with Blanche's participation earlier, she's now on board, excited to see what the turtleneck sweater with blazer-wearing artist will come up with. But Laszlo isn't as excited. At first, Blanche was perfect, but now he's realizing he doesn't want his work to just be sensual and erotic. He wants it to represent innocence, naivete. Not only does he want the spirit of the work to be toned down, he wants to tweak the body too, adding fuller lips, hips, eyes. Showing off said wide eyes, Rose is realizing what he's saying, that he wants her to model for him, or at least that's her guess. When he rejects her assumption, she's embarrassed another trait he wants to portray. So, just as with Blanche, he offers her his studio key. Wanting to keep their plan secret, he explains he will still be seeing and using Blanche for inspiration, so he'll need his newest muse to come over in the morning. Having learned a little bit from the whole actor ordeal, Rose isn't sure how to feel about the deception. 
That is until Blanche returns from grabbing her stiff purple and green jacket, and she finds Laszlo's enjoyment of Rose's company laughable. That does it for Rose. She's taking the key and the job. Back in the kitchen, purple dress and maroon cardigan wearing Sophia is back at her goofing. On Dorothy this time, not bums. But after the orange juice debacle, she is not willing to trust her mother, who is now holding a kaleidoscope, which she found in their non-existent attic. Putting coal or shoe polish on the end of the telescope or kaleidoscope, leaving a ring of black around the prank recipient's eye, has been around forever. So Dorothy, now in white pants and a light gray-green blouse, is not falling for it. Fine! Sophia insists they make up by sharing some peanut brittle from a can, which Dorothy knows will be full of fake snakes. So Sophia can just stop trying, because Dorothy is not falling for any of it. That's when she takes a seat and falls victim to the whoopee cushion. Not a new invention like the other gags. Ancient Romans and Arabs were actually known to use their own version of a whoopee cushion, including animal bladders, to liven up dinner parties. The common rubber one has been around since 1930. Showing off how good she got her daughter, Sophia then opens the snake-free peanut brittle and starts snacking. Disappointed in herself, Dorothy moves to another chair, which looks and feels so wrong. Dorothy belongs in the middle seat. Storming in from the back door in her best artsy pink and yellow flowing jacket blouse thing, Blanche is devastated, just devastated at what happened. When Dorothy tries to get her to talk about what's wrong, she leaves. She doesn't want to talk about it. Encountering Rose on the couch in a turtleneck and blue cardigan, Blanche tells her how upset she is. Assuming it's because she's gone behind her back to be drawn by Laszlo, Rose starts to explain. But that's not why Blanche is mad. She doesn't even know that that's going on. What she's upset about is that, after all of this time posing, she was finally able to sneak a peek at Laszlo's sketches. His perception of Blanche is that of a woman with bad hair and a bad body. As she put it, a dog. As Blanche continues to talk about how disgusting the sketched woman is, Rose takes ownership, which is sweet of her to do since Blanche knows she's basically been describing her, but it wasn't her. It isn't until Rose holds up her special key that Blanche believes her. Since she's been trying to get with Laszlo the whole time, Blanche is mortified at the idea that he would choose Rose over her, but Rose reassures her. It's not like that. He just wanted to present a more innocent side to his work. Or as Blanche sees it, someone with more cellulite. You can't say that. As they start to argue, Dorothy comes in, trying to decipher what is happening. Seeing it as a personal attack, Blanche tells Dorothy they're fighting because Rose is a backstabber. When Rose tries to defend herself, Blanche continues with the insults, saying Laszlo could have just gone to SeaWorld to see a naked whale. Oh boy. Rose's jaw is dropped in shock and hurt. That is, until she thinks of an equally painful insult. Yeah, SeaWorld or your bathtub. Coming to a reasonable decision, Blanche says they'll both keep going to pose, and in the end, they'll see who he chooses as his true muse. Before Blanche's shoulders can stop shimmying with sass, Dorothy chimes in with her own prediction. The woman he'll choose to sculpt will be her. She then outs herself as a fellow nude model, holding the key and a look of clandestine delight. And we're back! Turns out Dorothy's modeling was requested a few days prior. This has Blanche stunned and Rose relieved. 
not because that means she's not alone in the backstabbing, but because the ugly lady in the sketches must have been Dorothy, not her. After Dorothy stares the life out of Rose, Blanche goes back to tantruming. She can't believe her two best friends would once again do her dirty. But by now, I feel like her saying, I can't believe my two best friends would blank, has been said enough that she should start to believe it. Besides, what is there to be mad about? After Blanche went on about how amazing it would be to be a piece of art, were they not going to work with Laszlo when the opportunity arose? Blanche calls bull honky, horse pucky, malarkey. Laszlo is her man and they're just jealous, trying to take him from her. Following the brat into the kitchen, Dorothy starts the arguing first. Your man? Of course he's Blanche's man because she found him first. No longer enjoying her peanut brittle in peace, Sophia is role-playing as an owl, shouting out who every few seconds, being ignored by the girls who are still shouting. As they argue about who is dating and who's been dumped by the artist, Dorothy answers at least one question. The man they're fighting about is named Laszlo. Rose follows up with more detail. He's the Hungarian artist they've all been nude models for. With all of the joy sucked out of her, Sophia lets the girls know that if this or a similar topic should arise, they can always just tell her it's none of her business before excusing herself from the nonsense. I love that Sophia is so judgmental about certain things. Like last week, Blanche was freaking out because Rose was going to move in with someone and Dorothy is always on the verge of going to hell because of whatever Catholic rule she's breaking. But hearing that they're all posing nude, she like Sophia almost doesn't have the strength to get into it. You know, there's never a moment of the nudity is wrong or you're going to let someone see you in public like that. It's kind of funny because you would expect it. Sophia is sex positive in certain ways. I think when it comes to nudity, pornography, and maybe buns. Yeah, she does love all of those things. So... Is there anything specifically Catholic about nudity? I'm sure you're supposed to, like, hate your body even though it's made in his likeness or whatever. There was nothing ever impressed upon me. Oh, I mean, that's I had to good. wear a, a, a cute little uniform for <laughs> the first, you know, eight years I was in school. But other than that, nothing about to uh, don't ever pose nude for a artist. No. I mean, they're pro- I mean, they yeah, that never came up at school. Thank God. <laughs> and... um. Yeah, it didn't. My yeah, my parents weren't naked people. It didn't come up. Uh, what was the question? I feel uncomfortable. No, <laughs> I was just curious if there was any. Like you said, it wasn't impressed upon you. So yeah, I was there just was curious nothing, Yeah, was there was like, nothing like that. Nudity yeah. is bad. Your body is disgusting. I mean, I think that was implicit. That was yeah, that that's was part there, of it. But, so I knew that I was a disgusting, <laughs> sinful creature. But hey, man. I can't help being horny. <laughs> help me, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Knowing she has no proof, Dorothy asks Blanche to explain to her why she would be Laszlo's choice. That's simple. It's his words. He told her she is his greatest muse, which is exactly what he's told Rose and Dorothy. Hello, ladies. Do we not remember the actor? Stop being mad at each other and realize that this dude is also a jerk. I feel like people are often blinded by things like artistry mm. or motor- potential fame, motorcycles, <laughs> muscles, 
um, full heads of hair. Yeah. Not talking about myself. <laughs> well, in all fairness, he's not a jerk, but they should be handling it in the same way as the actor. They should be like, wait a minute. We were all told to not tell each other the truth. And now we're mad at each other for that when we were asked to put ourselves in that situation. So yeah, he's, he's a little bit of a jerk. Yeah, it takes him a little a little while to kind of come around and reunite. Yeah. They're often shattered. Yes. Broken apart. And then they realize that a guy is a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. And they get him. Trying to be reasonable, Dorothy realizes they'll just have to wait and see what he does. Well, Rose and Dorothy will have to wait. Blanche already knows it will be of her. Using her delicately flowing fabric to accentuate her words, she glides across the room, bragging of her grace, her femininity, her farts. <sniffs> Sophia has struck again, leaving the inflated whoopee cushion armed for another victim. Somehow, none of the girls break when Blanche's eyes get as wide as a deer in headlights out of shock and embarrassment. Glossing over the moment, Rose is the only one trying to be reasonable. He's inspired by all of us, and we all have and lack qualities that the others don't. So perhaps he's going to go back and forth betwixt them. For the way he's been treating them, Blanche thinks they should all stay home and refuse to pose until he tells them who he wants to use. And to make sure they stick to it, Blanche will hold on to everyone's keys. Well, that's almost a solution. Except since there is no trust between them, they find it hard to believe she wouldn't then just go to Laszlo herself. As Dorothy begins to point out that very fault, she attempts to enjoy some of the peanut brittle herself, which has been restocked with spring-loaded snakes. Finally, Rose comes up with the best option, communication. The three of them can confront Laszlo and force him to choose outright. When Sophia encounters the ladies on their way out, Dorothy stops her, asking her to take a seat in the whoopee-prone chair. But she can't get one past her mother. She's smart, and her butt is as tight as famed ballerino Mikhail Baryshnikov. Born in what is now known as Latvia, it may surprise fans of ballet to learn the great dancer and choreographer Mikhail is also an actor, just as it may surprise fans of White Knight's Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, Turning Point, and Sex in the City to learn the Oscar and Golden Globe-nominated actor has always been better known as a Kennedy Center honor-receiving dancer. All of that sexy dancing has his buns in fine working order. That once the snow began to fall, it seemed unending. That least the flakes should make her eyelids wince. I chilled them with my hand, and they pretending not to believe the cherishing of ice would beat against my palm like butterflies. Coco, would you like some fun Barishnikov facts? Duh. He has a daughter from his relationship with Jessica Lange. <laughs> right? <laughs> and when they met, he spoke Russian and she and she spoke English, so they got to know each other via their shared language of French. And love. Yeah. Wow. And then they ended their relationship when he started dating her best friend. Ooh boy. That's well that's very her. She is she's always had kind of a European I can just picture her in France with like a long cigarette. And... I mean, the first word out of my mouth was going to be cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Just, just when you were, yes, yep, long there are, one. There are some people you look at and you go, they, they're going to smell like a cigarette. Big silk robe, like and, a long, yes. flowy silk robe. But and then the, there's other people cigarette. like her where you're like, oh, she just needs a cigarette in her hand. 
Sophia is delighted in her pranks, Dorothy not so much. Finding ourselves at a new urban setting, we've gone to Laszlo's studio, which unlike how it was referenced earlier, is not a windy old barn, but an apartment that looks painfully 80s sitcom and like it's set in Chicago or New York. Inside, Laszlo is painting in his white overalls as he continues to work on his sculpture. When he sees it's Blanche at the door, he plays dumb, acting like he's only working with her and she's brought her friends to see their workspace. They're quick to let him know the jig is up. Laszlo doesn't know what to say. He's busted and that's it. When he's at a loss for words, Dorothy hopes she'll be the chosen one. When asking who will be his muse, Rose is certain it is she, but he won't be picking one of them. Blanche begs to have an answer, otherwise it might just tear their friendships apart. So will it be dull Dorothy, run-of-the-mill Rose, or Blanche, the woman with perfectly sized, lovely breasts? Not that those are words he used to describe her body, but words he agreed with when she used them to describe herself. Sharing where he's coming from, Laszlo explains that each woman brings him a different type of inspiration, so he can't really choose. Stopping him before he says anything that might bruise her fragile ego, brown-nosed Blanche love-bombs him, celebrating that he's the greatest current Hungarian sculptor. And to show how full of horse-pucky Blanche is, Dorothy promises to eat the partially-built statue next to them if Blanche can name two other Hungarian sculptors from any period of time. In the end, Laszlo will choose none of them. He's done with needing them as models. He's done his sketches. He has his inspiration. Once he starts working with the statue, he'll narrow down his options, and then, at the gallery reveal, they'll learn their fate. Excusing the grown women who are throwing a fit, they see themselves out. Throwing out one more hook, Blanche asks if Laszlo is familiar with the very Picasso, Picasso painting titled Woman Playing the Violin. It looks like a bunch of camouflage-colored blocks. Anyway, that was actually originally titled Blanche Plays the Violin, and the violin wasn't a violin. Hint, hint. She hopes she'll remember that when he's grinding away with tools in his hand. Laszlo doesn't suck, and if he did, he certainly wouldn't do it backwards. It's museum time, and isn't it a glamorous interior? More tiled glass, more 80s scenery and backgrounds, and the fashion! Blanche in a sparkly white button-up shirt dress, Dorothy in what is possibly her white orange juice sweater, now only adorned with a rainbow cover and a white bow tie, Rose in a teal dress with lace overlay. They're all overcome with excitement upon seeing the large, cloth-covered statue in the middle of the room. Why, Blanche can hardly wait for the cloth to drop and the room to collectively gasp. Getting in one more jab, Dorothy jokes that she should be used to that reaction by now. As giddy as Rose is, she hasn't considered the reality of it all. If Laszlo created a realistic statue and used her as his muse, the whole room could be staring at and judging her in all of her birthday suit glory. The most shocking part of all of this comes courtesy of Rose's ignorance. Sure, she posed nude, but she didn't think the statue would be. As Rose comes to terms with her decisions, Sophia finds them and starts flailing a vase in the air. Wearing a black dress, she can't believe this little piece of porcelain could cost $10,000. As she expresses her dismay, the vase goes flying, shattering on the ground leaving Blanche and Dorothy in shock and on the verge of barfing. Before they can even get into how inappropriate it is to smash anything at an art opening or any event really, you heard me, Jen Shaw. She starts to laugh. 
Once again, Sophia was just goofing, leaving Dorothy furious. Before her laughter can subside, the security officer approaches her. She had mixed up the real vase and her prank one. This is a serious problem that only riles Dorothy up even more. Then Sophia and the officer start laughing. With a level of sociopathy we've only seen from John Doe and Seven, well, she's gone and done it again. While paying off Harry the guard, Sophia suggests Dorothy get a tattoo on her face to let everyone know how foolish she is. Playing Harry is Adam Small. Although this was only one of his five acting roles, Adam has had a busy entertainment career. Instead of listing his projects, I can just list his jobs. He's been a writer, producer, on the crew, an actor, director, a soundtrack composer, editor, and location manager. Coming out to announce the unveiling of the work is Monty Landis Victor. The Scottish actor has been in the game since 1955. While it looks like he retired around 1996, he had almost 69 credits. They included, but are not limited to, Days of Our Lives, Body Double, Young Frankenstein, Columbo, Hawaii Five-O, The Monkees, Batman, Get Smart, The Girl from Uncle, General Hospital, and Sherlock Holmes. He was back with the girls in 1992 when he appeared as Mr. Ricciuti on The Golden Palace. But my favorite role of his was as Mario, the magic shop owner in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. My good friend Pee-wee! Hi, Mario. I would like to say something. Yes. I grew up in Burbank, and I had a third-grade teacher named Miss Ricciuti, and I like to believe that somehow someone Knew. saw a, 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 the teacher's list at my school or heard a child over saying Miss Ricciuti, yes. and they chose to do that. She had she looked like Sherry Lewis, oh, but blonde. Cute. She was probably like in her 50s maybe, but she looked to me about 148. Oh, in a good way. Sweet Miss Ricciuti. I think her name was her name might have been Judy Ricciuti. No. I I'll get back to you. <laughs> Dramatically, the sheet is pulled away, revealing a thick queen sitting, cloth draped across her lap. Nearly out of breath from the beauty, Blanche is awestruck with how good she looks. But Dorothy disagrees. You mean how gorgeous she looks. Rose argues that the nose makes it obvious it's her. Sophia declares the answer will be in the butt. And since you can't see the butt, the statue is therefore not of Blanche. Once again deciding to just talk it out with the artist himself, the ladies search for Laszlo. After showering him with compliments, they want to know who the hell it is. Pompously, he asks if they can tell who he used. When they can't, he brings himself down to their level to explain it. He used Dorothy because of her character and strength. Wanting to add sensuality, he looked to the drawings of Blanche. When that got to be too much, he went for the gentle demeanor of Rose. Still not catching on, he has to tell them flat out. It's a super composite of all three of them. He was able to channel all of their best features into one beautiful piece of art. Going deeper, he sees how all of those traits complement each other so he can understand how they have been such close friends for so long. As great of an answer as that is, as for them being remembered as a work of art, it doesn't answer Blanche's more important question. Who is it he's hoping to do more with in the nude than just sketching? To answer her question, we are once again visited by Monty. Cozying up to the artist, he proclaims that they're a hit. 
eyes are made, shoulders are nearly writhing. Once again, these ladies were so up their own bums with their egos, they never once considered Laszlo wouldn't be interested because he was gay. Sophia totally understands. After having to view the girls in the nude for a month straight, how could he not find himself attracted to men? That's an oh boy, but that's also a pretty good burn. It's a new morning. Sophia is once again pouring a glass of OJ, now in her blue pajamas. Dorothy has come in in her white and tan vertically striped nightgown she purchased at the Bob Cratchit sale. The art drama is done. Even better, Sophia has called a truce for her pranks. Making sure the glass wasn't another one, Dorothy is understandably hesitant to take a drink. After being assured by her own mother that she wasn't trying to bamboozle her, she feels okay having a, oh wait, look over there. Inspired by drag queen Jada, Dorothy distracts her mother long enough to switch glasses. Feeling safer, she takes a big swig. That proceeds to run down her chest. Sophia had counted on her daughter not trusting her and used it against her. Oh, motherly love. Sure, the girls didn't learn their lesson after the messy mix-up with the actor, but at least this time they didn't all sleep with the same guy. They weren't any better about the personal attacks towards each other's bodies, but at least in the end, they realized that they were more powerful together as one strong, kind, sexy woman than on their own. I guess the real lesson here is to do what you want with your body when you want to. I will never be as young as I am right now. My body, no matter how frustrated I may get with it, will probably never look more youthful. So perhaps I should make that boudoir photo appointment. Because as the girls showed us, age is nothing but a number. But sexy confidence is ageless. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we take a hard pivot in the body conversation and swim through an ocean of oh boys with Blanche's little girl. Yeah, that wouldn't be the most fragrant. Fragrant. Oh boy, let's move on. <laughs> More of an artistic uh, innuendo than literal. <laughs> but thank you. Painted the t's. <laughs> Meaning to fly in a. <clears throat> My mother recently purchased a dribble glass. Just FYI. You might cross paths with it soon. I appreciate that. We have an upcoming visit. We <laughs> do. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stay watchful. <laughs> I don't like pranks. That's I don't an, like laughing at stuff. It's not true. I don't like joking around. I'm sick of your mom's crap. <laughs> <laughs> the hand blaz- blazer by either creating it himself or buying patents and making improvements. Whoa. Hello? I'm just gonna skip part of words. Hmm. Sounds like a nice backpack. For if he had, according to her, the downstairs neighbors, who would surely be bothered by... Werewolves of London. (laughs) Make me say dribble hole. Having learned a little bit from the whole actor ordeal... Ordeal. (laughs) And she finds Laszlo's enjoyment... I'm just I'm just trying to ignore what's happening to your brain right now. That's all. Thank so you. Pro- proceed. Call for help. 
Just all the farts. Sophia then opens the snake-free peanut brittle. Peanut brittle. Oh, speaking of clandestine, I really want to watch Ishtar now. Ballerino, ballerino. You sound weird. I sound weird. You said ballerino. Bye-bye. Thank you. Do you want to do, do you take that again? To learn the great dancer and choreographer. <laughs> Batman gets smart. Smart. Smart Harmon's in summer school. <laughs> Probably was like, <clears throat> wow, that was a horrible noise I just made. <clears throat> Into one beautiful piece of art. Uh, like that. Because <laughs> I'm seeing like four sentences and being like, ah! Was that fun? Everybody dance now. Because he's my best friend. He's my pal. He's my homeboy. My rotten soldier. He's my sweet cheese. My good time boy. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.